0: Of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Welcome, everybody, to this most recent episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast. Other than Ash and myself, we have Kostas Papai with us today, who is a colleague of Mark Cohen who's one who was in the podcast already, right? One of the co-founders of Happen, an innovation consultancy. But today, Costas, you're here because you have published, I was gonna say just published, but that's not correct, right? You've published a new book about business development for professional creatives. And I'll I'll let you say the exact title. And we wanted to talk about that a little bit. So, so thanks for joining us. And, and do you want to, do you have to add anything to this introduction or deeply
1: flattered uh, by uh, you asking me to join this podcast? I'm really happy to be here. And uh, indeed you, you had a fantastic session already with, uh, with Mark Cowan. So, Probably many of the things I'll be talking about or sharing today will resonate or just sound like they're in the same thread. But yeah, not much to add to your introduction and maybe the title of the book is The Magic Ingredient. And indeed it is about business development for creative professionals or professional creatives, which is something that has always fascinated me and I was responsible for amongst others for business development when we ran Happen independently. And uh, I find it a fascinating topic is how do you win business on something which is so can be very intangible, like creativity can be? And how do you turn that into value? Something the client will buy from you.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's actually an excellent follow on to the conversation we had with Mark, because with him and and you just told us that you listened to it, it was mm-hmm. a bit of more of a storytelling and how it did work particularly inside happen x course which was very interesting and, and it, you in your book you try to give people a set of methods i'm guessing right so you're sort of codifying your experience or, or how you've yes. seen it work so do you can you would you give us a quick summary and maybe just point to some of the issues you're tackling there. Because you, you a lot of this book is about sort of addressing misconceptions or busting myths, yeah. for lack of a better word. So, so maybe a quick summary and then call out some of the, the myths you, you're busting in the book. Or, or misconceptions, basically. Yeah. Myths.
1: Well, maybe we start with a few myths. And, uh, and then I, and I try to reveal why they're myths. All right. Well, I guess, so I am, I mean, I'm a professional creative myself. I've been so for 25 years now after graduating as a design engineer. And one of the things which is probably true for many creatives is they, they basically bask in their own uniqueness and they're just, they find themselves amazing. They, creativity is like a black magic in their view, an art, which if only the world would recognize how fantastic their, their skills are. And really that's, pretty much not true. And also in the context of business development, completely irrelevant, because every client that buys creative services, and let's assume we're talking about a large corporate buying this creative services of a smaller agency, because that's, I guess, is the context for Happen Group. They have a choice. They have a choice of many different creative capabilities and agencies to buy from. And if anything, what works well is just being top of mind when a creative problem surfaces and being one of the last they've spoken to or that you've triggered their intrigue. So uniqueness is, uh, or that creative skills in itself being interesting is is not something I would consider of high business value, and it's much more about the application. Maybe just a few other myths, which I indeed try to to stay, What is it? Uh, debunk and then sort of explain how to deal with it instead. I mean, another big one, particularly for creative agencies, is this endless chasing uh, of retainers and basically trying to get a client to commit to like a year or two years worth of work. To be really honest, that's like the most awful type of relationship you want with a client when it comes to creative work, because you're basically being, you're you're, you're cementing yourself into a construct, which is going to be very specific about what you need to deliver. It takes all the the room for flexibility out. It's usually an, an unequal relationship too. Like if a client cancels a retainer, then... There's nothing much you can do as a small agency facing that. But also you attract a very different type of talent into your business. People who like working on the same client all the time, rather than people who enjoy working on different clients in different categories. Uh, so there's a lot of, of, of things that I believe make retainers not very attractive. A massive myth, which, which was a truth for me very, very, for a very long time until I opened my eyes and got, I guess, I got red-pilled, is maybe the uh, the expression in, <laughs> in matrix terms, is this, is this belief that people who are good at selling are bad at delivery and vice versa. There is this perceived truth that there are people sitting in creative agencies, for example, who are just absolutely amazing at delivering work, and other people do the actual selling and chasing clients, etc it took me a very long time. And I mean, it took me like almost 20 years of realizing that most people I knew who were actually very good at selling were also very good at delivering. Maybe they weren't doing it too much at that point in their career, but originally they were excellent deliverers. And the people who were perceived as being very good at delivering were actually not very good. And it's not from the point of view of the agency that is trying to run a commercial business. They were tended to be over delivering for their clients and actually running projects at a loss. Now for a client, that's fantastic. If you (laughs) get way more than what you're paying for, of course you'll love them. But the reality for a agency is pretty bad. And what this really is about is, are you capable of understanding exactly what your customer needs, where a creative effort will help resolve the problem? So if a client needs a particular solution developed, based on their problem, give them that solution. Don't give them 10 from which they can then pick. That's basically bad business because you're spending three, four, maybe 10 times yeah. more time yeah. for the same fee. Yeah. And the client will be just as happy because they got what they needed, If they, even if they only get one because they get the right one. Should I go on with a few more myths? I mean, I, I like yeah, I mean, <laughs> in,
0: uh, there's, uh, maybe, we, maybe we come back to this through, through yeah. some of the questions yeah. we had prepared. So yeah. you, you mentioned early on in the book, I think, is the part I enjoyed the most because that's a current pet peeve of mine. And probably you have already figured out a lot of the stuff which I'm just discovering is new wisdom. But this idea of yeah. you, you talk about how creative firms scale, right? And yeah. how you have to go from, you know, being the the seller doer, you know, it's, it's only you. It's your expertise, blah, blah blah. Which probably that resonates with what you said. The the person who thinks creativity in itself is awesome. Yeah. And then it it goes over to you get some support staff and direct people. You know, so so it scales that way a little bit. And it gets to the point where then eventually you hopefully sort of codify what it is you're doing. Right. You build a true system where it actually almost becomes independent. From your involvement, right? Yeah. And that's where where the scaling really kicks in. And and I just wanted to like to my my perspective, or well, Ash and I discuss this often in the, in the podcast, is that many consulting firms, so professional services firms, maybe somewhat removed from the creative part, but they're also it's mm-hmm. also you can do you can be creative in mm-hmm. accounting. They they don't always reach that point, which is fascinating because it causes many issues, one of them being it doesn't scale, others are it's sort of difficult to market something as distinct if you don't have a distinct system or a process. And I know from you both, what you've told me and both what Mark mentioned there, Use you, you, in happen you seem to have figured out the, the codifying of knowledge pretty mm-hmm. early on, right? So how, how did that work or how does that work in terms of business development? Do you build yeah. something that scales first and then, so you open the floodgate and sell, or do you try and sell work quite a bit so you can learn what it takes to build the the scalable yeah, yeah. solution or,
1: or approach. Yeah, it's, it's, if anything, that's like the, uh, the million dollar question or the hundred million dollars. <laughs> that's question. why
0: I'm asking that first. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's maybe a, one thing you do need, because I, I guess what you're also talking about is even if it starts with one person, which yeah. probably sometimes it does probably more often, it starts with a few people working together is it starts with the decision to actually scale. Yeah. And there is a very distinct point in the existence of Happen Group, which was almost on day one where as a very, very small group of people, we already agreed we're going to build something that scales yeah. because the alternative, which is also perfectly legitimate, is to build something which is and our financial director. Uh, richard Fifield at the time he put it very clearly he said either you build something that scales which is basically a growth engine or you build something which is a vocational business and you put your own names on the on the front of the building and really you build something which probably looks like a like a small law firm does with like these little triangles with a partner sitting on top and some minions yeah. below which h- rotate very quickly because everyone knows the top job isn't vague. but if you agree very early on you want something that scales what you're actually also saying is we're going to have to build a brand rather than something that is completely connected yep to, let's say, the, the, the founders or the original, say, group of people. And in a way, you're still building the triangles, but you're building triangles that grow. So you're continuously busy trying to make yourself. And that's what, what, what any, say, services company probably, at least as far as I could imagine, looks like when they're trying to scale is how do you always make the top guys, the top girls obsolete? Because whatever they do should be handed down to the level below them. And then all kinds of things start clicking into place, which is suddenly you realize you're building a career path for people coming into the business. Yeah. So they can actually grow yeah. up as well. If anything, one of the, looking at the history of Happen Group, I mean, we were not very good at hiring seniors. We had a few successes. We had also quite a few people who just, well, just didn't work, but what we were very good at was bringing people up to the top of the organization who actually a fairly young age had tremendous responsibility and were doing a lot, but they were growing with us now to your point of codifying. That is absolutely essential because that's the only way you can you can create a business where it's not about a particular, say, one, two, three people being super smart or having a reputation and a little network of their own. What you need to create is indeed something where you've built credibility for a way of working yeah. which basically as a brand you guarantee will deliver so in the in the book i try to explain those stages to go through mm-hmm. but it's 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 a decision you need to make so early on to do this i mean i'm now what is it? i'm heading for 50 i'm going to be 49 in a few weeks many from my generation in, and again I was trained as an industrial design engineer many of my generation have set up pretty successful design agencies but very much of the vocational type where it was yeah. about them where it was about the let's say the partners and after 20 years of doing that you get really tired and you have actually created something which is also impossible to sell because yeah. Yeah, what, what is this worth without you in it yeah. but also the talent you've accumulated into that business isn't necessarily the best talent because these people, if they stick around, it's because they're not interested in really developing. Because they know there's always going to be this partner sitting at the top, doing all the work and do, and sort of holding the uh, the reins in yeah. hand. Whereas okay. if you build a system which is indeed a brand and a creative, mm-hmm. yeah, a creative brand that guarantees creative success then uh, it's a different story and am i answering your question for no
0: that's, that's good and it's, i was just i was just trying to get some thoughts from you because i yeah. think it, it also goes back to this idea of business development and marketing and, and yes. like i'm i'm currently in the process of not pivoting but taking my firm towards working more with mid-sized consulting firms yeah. on the marketing side So I'm talking to a lot of people, even prior to having read your book, like I'm doing that um, for validation purposes. And it's amazing how many of them tell me that they actually, they're not using these exact words, but they tell me that they actually do not want to grow. So they are afraid Mm -hmm. of business development because we are at capacity already, right? Full feast and famine cycle. Everybody's in the feast mode now because benches are empty, Mm -hmm. um, order books are full. They're afraid of growing. And if you get to the root cause of it, and then I'll stop us on this tangent, but the root cause here is that um, they haven't built something that scales, so they aren't yeah. able to drive more revenue with the same headcount, which is, I think, yeah. the point you get towards the more you, you codify into processing things. Yeah, and
1: I guess there are different types of scalable solutions, because, for example, we for, for, for like a decade, we also had our research team we called Winkle at the time. But By the time we sold the business, it had became, it become our research and analytics team. But that was also, an, say, an organization within our, our business yeah. that actually had products And that's a different type of scalable because the products we created, like concept screeners segmentation studies, et cetera, those are fairly well-defined also for clients. So they kind of know what they're buying when they see something like that on a pricing list. When you look at more consulting-type services, then it is indeed about methodology. And it is about um, – because when you have that, I mean, we could train up people so fast. I mean, of course, they needed to have intelligence and let's say, genetically let's say of the, of the right type to understand what creative work is about, which isn't forever. But we could train people up very, very quickly in the, let's say, three, four main methodologies that we used for project delivery. And then it really became as simple as just do it over and over and grow your network and you'll become an increasingly valuable part of it. And that's how you scale, I guess.
0: And that's when, when business development becomes important because now you have the engine that can sustain a, an influx yes. of clients, right? Yeah. Versus, yeah.
1: Yeah, but the, be- the best way to do this, by the way, and I, I'm a little bit surprised how you say some people are afraid of scaling, because no, of the... growing, not scaling. It, well, they can't I'm sorry, of growing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. growing. Because the the one thing we were always doing, and which almost all every year worked, was just to sell more than you can deliver. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's that simple. And then you have to figure out a way. Okay, so we actually now have work for twenty people when there's only fifteen on the team. How are we going to condense this, make it repeatable, make it simpler? And and you just lose a lot of the faff. I mean, also the scaling is, I think, often misunderstood for creating like a bigger copy of of your smaller business. One of the things that has surprised me, for example, coming into a very large organization being Accenture is just how much staff is walking around. And the, the 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 ratio between billable people and non billable people is just absolutely mind boggling to me. Whereas if you look at the the agency we had before we sold, I mean, we had we didn't even have PAS yet. We had one office manager over sixty people, but it, it was just incredibly lean and, and very effective in that sense, which also makes it just easier to scale. Yeah, I think what you were saying in terms of scaling is that most people
2: haven't read Jeffrey Us Scale, but basically it's the same model over like different sizes. Mm-hmm. It, it's you have it like between zero to one or zero to 100, but the graph, the plot lines look the same. It's just mm-hmm. people grow in a weirdly exponential way as opposed to in that path that should be for the organization, which is yeah. pretty much what you're saying.
1: Yeah, maybe. I guess one thing we, and again, we, we, you know, in our, the, in the happen group history basically ended or, or transitioned transitioned when we sold the business into Accenture but the there is a point just organizational structure wise and there's probably a truth in there in that it's it, it's kind of hard when you go beyond 30 40 people because that's also when let's say the top of the organization and the bottom of the organization start really disconnecting from each other in our case we resolved that by creating different teams so we had like a team in Amsterdam we had a team in London and we were starting a team in in New York, actually, we had a second attempt at creating a team in New York, which would eventually also become like another unit of about 30-ish people. And then we would mm-hmm. basically creating hubs and, and spokes or whatever you wish to call it within that model, because it, it's a very nice model in a creative environment. When you actually have the, the, the top creatives, the experienced people also still capable of doing delivery work rather than only sort of hold, say, yeah. doing sort yeah. of a command and control. Yeah,
0: so, so let's let's get back maybe to 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 feeding all these people <laughs> all <Yeah>. the offices. <laughs> because mo- moving through the through the chapters of your book so the, the scaling one i think that was there was a there was exact in my view the exact right point to, to start the book i just love that and mm-hmm. then you, you sort of move into i think the, the chapter is titled lead thoughts like a boss right that that's these are your <laughs> quick thoughts on on marketing and how you yeah how you build relationships which, which i think that's primarily the focus of of your book but do, do you want yeah. to discuss this a little bit like
1: yes and a recommended listening on the topic is your other podcast with mark who of course yeah. was, uh, he did that so well because what as a creative professional an absolute must have for every i would i would dare say every individual on the team but definitely as a brand is you need to be interesting You need to have something worth talking about. And ideally, you talk about things that are of interest to your client, which means you're not actually talking about yourself, you're not talking about the client, but you're talking about something that sort of sits in between, which is your your common Mm -hmm. interests and where you you share something. So thought leadership is also just being brutally honest. This is again, if if I do a very crude paraphrase, how we looked at this in the happen days was being brutally honest that you don't know what the answers are but you do know what are the questions that need to be yeah. asked okay that sounds like a cliche but the way we did that which also was was elaborated by by mark in the in the podcast is we had different types of publications with different for different types of audiences with different types of content where we were questioning and i not say debating whether something was true or not but just like exploring and questioning what we saw happen and there, there, there were a few topics very early on for example when we started the business when we, we basically set it up right in the middle of the economic or the financial crisis i should say so we were asking ourselves publicly what is the impact of let's say um the, this the huge crunch on cash also for people's personal lives what is the implication of that, and how they consume? Mm. Because, of course, we were a consumer products business, and just asking those questions and trying to find answers and being very public about that that drew just tremendous attention to us very yeah. early on. And am and I, I, and your I, question? I? Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's good because I, it lines up the the second thing because you make this this is maybe your main point, and I one hundred percent agree is that you talk about this in the thought leadership section already. You have a two by two. Yes. matrix which i think is, is interesting because you use it as a framework throughout the book where you map uh, the relationship status so is he, is someone a, a friend of ours yes or no right friend yes, yes Friend? no versus their need we could say like has, has do they have yeah. a creative problem we could solve right now yes or no and then there's yeah. four, there's by having conversations with the different people in those four fields th- this is now me putting words into your mouth but you, you seem to suggest that that's how you build thought leadership is you just you just have to be in the middle of it and you have to engage yeah. with these groups That's how you find what you just said, the thing that lies between your firm and them, right? The area of interest and that gives you something to talk about. It's it's also sorry to interrupt
1: you, but it's also completely different from just sitting out there and pitching your business. Yeah. Which is like I don't know if you've ever actually had anyone pitch their business to you, but it's just awful. No matter how I have that on LinkedIn treat... six times yeah, a week, just, yeah. Just, I mean, you're thinking, give me a fucking break, just go away. I'm not interested in the pitch of your yeah, business. Absolutely. On the other hand, if they come to me with something that of interest to me, yeah. which is not their business, but something potentially they could do, or at least a problem I have, then all of a sudden we're having a conversation, rather than this sales chat where I feel someone's just trying to get me to buy something from them. And that's what that two by two comes down to.
0: And I think this is really for for the people listening who are not in the creative field of consulting. I think this is something you can take away from this book, but also I find just from product or innovation people in general, is this getting just insights from real people through on a, through real conversations. Right? Yeah. Um, because what happens in consulting is we have a conversation, but it's with the partner of a business. And she has an idea for a research report we should do in order to build thought. Leadership. And so the machine gets started and everybody does their thing. Out comes a report mm-hmm. three to five months later. Right, 30 pages pdf no one needs to read that and it's entirely based on an assumption what might be interesting that did come from the inside of the firm but not from an actual client and i'm not saying that this is completely wrong or off i mean the partner does have an idea of you know what what the clients want but to your point about being interesting maybe it's not the most interesting version of it or do do you know what i mean so yeah i really love that point about the conversations
2: there i'd like to add to that because it's the same thing that people face with with an internal or external communication no one thinks about the audience they think about what do i want to say versus what do they want to hear and what do they want yeah. to listen and almost yeah. every communication is like me 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 this is what i say yeah. <laughs> Not
1: yeah. like listen to me. all my fantastic opinions
2: yeah that's yeah. that and that's an issue with a lot of partners and a lot of big phones yeah. yeah. And so we,
0: uh, so did, I like those but, conversation metrics a lot. And I wanted to yeah. ask you about because you, you then pull that through into business development approaches yes. and where time should be spent in which quadrant.
1: Yeah. Um, it's not exact science, uh, flow No, no, it's, I, I get that. I get that. But that's my exact point. That's my exact point. Yeah. My exact point.
0: Yeah. So because all the other things we've seen, like there's funnels, into those funnels, which are oh, flipped from bottom to yeah. like all that stuff. It's it's not how the world you, works. So what what, what no. made you use that approach rather than so, journey journeys? Yeah, like it
1: was it was I guess it was very early in the in the happen days because I had come from different types of let's say service agencies. I mean, I, I worked for design agencies also mm-hmm. in the past. Before that, to let's say the mix of people with happen, and some of them I knew before then, I I, I honestly, I just thought uh, I've just been observing and what, what seems to work here and to make a direct link to say like building funnels for sales and stuff like that in creative services. One thing I noticed was the, the whatever was planned never became reality, no matter what clients were put on there, even existing clients who'd done the same type of business for a long time, where you think, oh, I can kind of predict what's going to come in next year. When it comes to creative services, none of those, they yeah. were like, they, sometimes they could just not, you, you would look at who, whatever, have, what have actually done by the end of the year, and what would I think I would do at the beginning of the year? It would just be worlds apart. But what would be, be never worlds apart is, who's bringing in the business you would just you just know particularly when you have a team of creatives whether it's juniors or seniors and in in happen everyone had some responsibility for business development even when they were literally fresh out of school i mean if hey if they win 10k during a year that's fantastic uh, because that's the first 10k someone has given to them to deliver something but what you would see is you could literally draw like a little sort of diagram say okay there's person X, that person is going to for sure bring in 300K this year. Another person will bring in half a million. Another person will bring in 1 million. Another person will in. And you just know it, because that's their that's their sales potential as a creative. That's yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of how strong their network is, how smart they are in front of clients, working with them. And that you can build a planning on, funnily enough. Yeah. And that's also why over time, it became a fairly stable business app and group from that point of view because the people inside we kind of knew how much how much sales let's say potential they had in the in the book i knew much, i i call it being basically a warrior versus a gardener now gardening works and particularly within large accounts you need the gardening types to sort of yeah. help keep nurturing it and stuff will come out but there is also the warrior type who you just know well it doesn't matter where you drop them they will be generating business because that's how, who they are. And that's how they, how they, how they basically engage with clients. And it's a combination of everything. And again, back to the beginning of the chat, trying to codify that is hard, but if again, it, it it's kind of the, the, the journey out. So in the two by two, I kind of express indeed where you then spend your time. And it, what it's not about is looking for briefs. What you're looking for is making friends with people who could give you briefs and that that's it's just a double whammy because you're spending time with people who are in the right place who have opinions themselves who yeah. inform your opinions and w- the next person you talk to whether that's in the same business or a different p- business you've already be- become a more interesting person because you have more opinions yeah. and more thoughts yeah mm-hmm. and then when you when they do have a problem who do they go to they go straight to you yeah. that's it's 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 that simple which which that that's the point I wanted to to push back. I d I don't know if
0: it's push back or if we're actually saying the same yeah. thing. But you but you write about interestingly that it's more about this type of business development or sales than it is about marketing yeah. for, for smaller firms or for firms in the I don't know thirty to seventy probably
1: mm-hmm. range. Yeah, that's it. And, and I that's and it makes perfect we're talking
0: about. It makes perfect sense following what you just discussed about the, the the friend, right? People are so the matrix shows who's a friend of us, but then in reality these are friends with specific people in your firm right which informs their mm-hmm. sales potential so i get that makes sense but as a marketing guy my expectation would be that these types of friendships is actually something marketing could and should be driving like my not by doing some of the crazy stuff we discussed like 32 page pdf yeah. wants to read in exchange for an email address. Yeah. this is not what i'm talking about but i think marketing today is in a place where because we have the technology we could scale those conversations so you you're on the podcast podcast right now, so mm-hmm. if twelve people in my mom listen to it, that's already thirty more people than you could have this conversation yeah. have had this conversation with if it's just over coffee right? So this idea, I think I was looking at your matrix, and I was like, huh, I think three of those four quadrants should be covered by marketing. Is that too it's, idealistic yeah.
1: or is that, I mean, is that we're a saying up? dramatically different things let's be honest the, okay, yeah. but maybe the the purpose of marketing is, and again, we've fallen down this trap, I've fallen down this trap, in an agency is, I think, too often confused with lead generation, and it's just just not the same thing. It's not the same thing, but even though there's a hope, it is the same thing. So people will like take, uh, they'll spend like a whole year putting a HubSpot something or or something similar together being incredibly meticulous about all oh, their inbound, outbound, whatever, yeah, say, no. forms of communication. And then by the end of the day, they, get it, they may get a lot more briefs, but these are not necessarily quality briefs. These yeah. are more like tire kickers and people actually you don't want to waste your time on. But the, and I think and that's why I was also just intrigued hearing Mark say, what is it, back in over the summer paraphrase the marketing activity that we did, because it was very much about supporting the Happen Group as a brand in why we are interesting to work with because we're in touch with the right people we talk about the right problems we don't go in with a solution we go in with how are we really going to understand basically people sometimes people who would be working with people who've been working in the same category for like a decade they think they know it inside out and for sure they know it way better than we do but what we were always able to bring was through all the exposure we had ourselves from other categories as well you might know your space but we just have this thought that there's maybe another way to look at this too which can help you sort of make that step into a more interesting Mm -hmm. future with more interesting new products and just a, a slightly better way to to service your category again
0: yeah i mean that that i can I oh, wholeheartedly agree with so, because because that in my book yeah. is the job of marketing is to create, not the, not generate the lead. lead, lead generation and capture is a, is just a technical step in the process. At some point, if I want to have a transaction, I have to, you know, bring in yeah. some contact information to do that stuff. The, that's so tactical. The, the strategy here is to educate the market Maybe. in a bit to, to create a demand to specifically work with us. So in your logic of the friends, marketing's job is to bring in more people who are very likely to become friends
1: yes that's a good um, way of burning. that's it and i would and never disagree so, with that
0: yeah okay yeah. ash is shaking uh, his head there or no yeah
1: yeah and ash, ash what, what is it ash
2: yeah but perhaps get it off we, your chest yeah <laughs> i was just thinking perhaps we can just yeah what we talk on marketing is marketing is building influence capital Demand generation. and everything is another thing you you need to build this capital but spend it in other ways whether it be lead demand whether it be like biz dev but marketing is that influence that space that exists, that real estate that exists in other people's brains is because you've been yes. talking about your stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. But let me give you an example. So the the last big, let's say marketing push, because that's what it was that we did in Happen Group was on the topic of sustainability. So this was in, because we'd noticed we had gone from zero, say, projects or briefs related to sustainability or almost zero up to like 2017, all of a sudden it started trickling in. And in 2019, we, we asked ourselves, okay, this is all fine. We know sustainability is a big issue for clients. No one really knows what the word means. No one really knows is it true for their customers and their clients as much as for others. so we did a piece of research, which was exactly just to find that out. What we did know was this is probably not about the tree huggers because they've already left your brands a long time ago. This is about what do you do with mass market who is still buying from you and that that was that was literally the market piece was asking that question and just getting some first thoughts out there for the client categories that we serviced within within FMCG, as in here's what we think is going on, but join us in figuring it out. And that's then exactly that bridge from the marketing effort, which is building awareness. Also to to, to I guess to, to to use paraphrase back how you were framing it, Ash is to, to create awareness in a, of, of a problem that is very real for clients and that they're not on their own thinking about their problem. And because, yeah. of course, sustainability, particularly, say, back in 2018, 2019, was like dropped onto people from the top. It was the CEO had made a pledge to do something absolutely insanely complicated and said it and promised it to the market in like two sentences. And people thinking, oh, my God, how am I, how am I going to do this? And then realizing, hey, there's a group of people whose job it is to help solve problems who are also in that space. But what we weren't doing was pushing solutions out. We were not saying, here's how you do it. That's what you should be doing. Here's a top 10 for uh, making your brand sustainable in for 24 months. No, none of that. And as a creative agency, because that's what we were, that was very much the, um, let's say, the, the, the formula the is to to be interesting because you're asking the right question sorry i I keep getting back to the same thing but of course
0: but i I like uh, that because that that is such an essential point i mean think about it and and this again is for the listeners when if the marketing people in the firms ask themselves when was the last time you sat down with an actual client of the firm right chances are it's been because they came in for a road show you met them at an event fair enough okay that's realistic but Did you have a conversation about the weather or did you do like, did you do some real discovery to pain points, interesting ideas, like anything that could actually inform your marketing campaign? And I mean, full disclosure, I was, I'm totally guilty of this. Often the answer is no, I didn't. Right. And it's easy to go two months, three months, four months, six months, a year, without ever actually having (laughs) insightful conversations with actual clients, you get all your input that informs your campaigns from the business, from fancy dashboards, or from third-party research like Gartner or whatever, they have their own agendas. So it's not real resonance from your market, or like you would put it probably from from the pool of people you want to become friends with, because that's probably mm-hmm. a very if you do your job well, that's a very narrowly defined slice of the market, not whatever Gartner says is going on. So yeah, I really like to hammer home this point, and and I think well, that's what makes yeah, the book. And I'm going to hammer it
1: one step further for you. Yeah, because please. by by. Having those conversations with clients, you're actually taking the topic 10 steps further than the stuff you would otherwise share, which they can also get from somewhere else. I mean, the the, the trend decks, the they all read H- HBR. All the stuff we are reading, they also read. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they, spend, they read, have to read it a little faster than, than we do. But then talking about it, that's what, what gets you to the actual issue you want to resolve together. Um, yeah, I'll stop talking there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to connect what the two of you are saying, it's like all these like, not ignore all the HBR and all of those guys. They're just putting thoughts out whereas coming in from all these is to ask the questions, to actually have the dialogue and the conversation. Yeah. Rather than push the thought. Yeah. Like the others.
1: The the thing that has surprised me and I, and I'm assuming a lot of Accenture people will be listening to this podcast, is I, I just couldn't believe how almost no one I met in Accenture dared to confront a client without having a solution already in their back pocket. Just having an open conversation. Hey, what's going on? Where are you winning? Where are you losing? What should we be thinking of? I don't think that very happens very much within a large organization like Accenture is and their clients. It's much more so, hey, here's five things we've done with other clients. Do you want to buy one too? That's that's not an open conversation. That's solutionism. And that, okay, I'm not going to debate whether Accenture works or not because clearly it works. But from a creative professional point of view, it's, it's, it's a different starting point.
0: And I mean, um, these conversations have their place. And it go, I mean, yeah. and there is a balance to strike um, yeah. between having open conversations, but then also we talked about codifying and standardizing parts of your delivery. You have mm-hmm. there's a there's a contradiction between the two things, and you have to bridge that. Okay, but um, yes. I think to your point, so these can be different conversations, and the one you're describing, the open one, is very worth having just from a marketing standpoint. Just in, oh, yeah. just inform your own content agenda with it. If if that's all that you do, you're already doing way better than. <laughs> a lot of the peers in the marketplace yeah. but so we, we're running up against time I just I had one um very weird question maybe you you talk in the book you m- mentioned throughout the thing you mentioned having decaf with clients why, what's why decaf yeah so
1: that's that's <laughs> probably because you had there are two versions of the book going around one is with coffee and one is with decaf <laughs> And, Are you A-B uh,
0: testing the, the...
1: Yeah, a little bit. And uh, okay. so far the coffee is winning and decaf is losing. So what uh, What I'll probably do, because you, you got the version from Gumroad, there's a different version on Amazon. I'm probably coming to the 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 brutal realization that the magic ingredient really is coffee and not necessarily decaf. That's maybe not oh the answer you God. were expecting, See, but uh, yeah.
0: That's, that's yeah. the product innovation people for you all right and then i don't know ash we, I'm, I'm ready to close it i just wanted to there is a i, I really recommend yes, the book thanks. it's fun there is a page called smart ass responses right which causes <laughs> pre-cooked for creative professionals i'm just going to read one i wanted to read several but that alone is <laughs> is fun <laughs> like it's the book is not only helpful it's also profoundly funny which i think that's my point point. and my my favorite Snarky responses. If the client says, what's your daily rate, your reply should be, I don't know. And frankly, I don't need to care, <laughs> which I'm totally stealing. Uh, <laughs> note, you can only do that if you've scaled to a certain point and I'm no longer completely married to the time against money game. Right? Yes.
1: I think. But maybe yeah. Yeah, And as a final fight, the time against money game, get out of there <laughs> as quickly yeah. as you can. Every day wasted on just selling your time rather than your output that's just I mean you're digging yourself into a hole you'll never get out of yeah so yeah that was
0: great, cousins. Uh, thanks for your oh, time. it's been a pleasure. Yeah, um, it's always
1: always nice to hear people like my book because I am indeed, uh, I have an ego like any creative that does. So I like it when people <laughs> like my work. <laughs> yeah, but it's been yes, a, it's, um, a, but honestly, it's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure, guys.
0: And uh, I really, uh, I'll really say, so it's a fresh take. I found it was very practical, and I had to laugh at least I don't know fifteen times by by skimming it through. It's it's good entertainment value on top of everything else. Ash, do you have a last question, or should we just cut it here? I
2: think we've got a lot of good insights right now. So I'm going to refrain from asking further questions on the podcast. The last yeah. Day All right. So I'm stuck to the
0: Excellent. Comment. Great. Thanks. Have a nice weekend eventually. Thanks for listening to Unveilable Hours.
2: If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us.